Well, to Mocha, how you doing this morning? It's a joy, again, to be here, to be able to share in the word of God Almighty. Let me pray as we move forward. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. What an incredible God you are. Your love is indescribable, extravagant, and we thank you for it. Now, Father, we pray that your dear, sweet Holy Spirit will use my mind to think in and my mouth to speak from. That same spirit will work in all of those who are under the sound of my voice today. Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and discernment. Now move me out of the way, Father, that your perfect message can now go forward. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. And everyone who agreed with the prayer says, Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, again, so wonderful to be able to be here, to be able to share in the word of God. You know, one of the great things that the enemy attacks is always the word. The truth is always under attack by a lie. That's okay, because we don't have to defend ourselves or defend the truth from a lie. The truth is the truth, regardless of how many lies are told or made. So we don't have to defend the truth from a lie. We just got to learn the truth, share the truth, teach the truth, and have faith in the truth. R-B-I-B-L-E is true from Genesis to Revelations. Our goal is to know what it says, how it encourages us, and also to remember that we win. So with that being said, brothers and sisters, that part is free, that one part of the sermon today. Uh, hopefully you received it <laughs> and are able to take it with you. Listen, we started last week a particular series entitled The Church is the Change Agent. The Church is the Change Agent. This is part two of that particular series. So I just want to reemphasize the church, not this building, but the gathering of the people, which is the real church in that environment is where we come and change. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we die. <clears throat> Excuse me. We die. Now, baptism then gives us this outward expression of this inward transformation that takes place. We bury you. The symbol of being buried under six feet of dirt, but you're buried under the water. When we raise you up is a resurrection, a brand new life. So when you're lifted up out of the water, <clears throat> excuse me, you are resurrected. Now, that means the old person that you were is dead. There's a brand new individual now. And everything that was connected to you before death is now dead. Again, if you don't understand this, this concept... Go to the cemetery and have an argument with somebody at the cemetery. Talk about them, you know, do that kind of thing and see if anybody gets up to defend themselves. Everything that was associated with their life is now over. And the same thing with us, your past sins, your uh, low self-esteem, all of those things have been canceled out. The power of sin in your life has been canceled because everything that was connected to you is over. So your past is over. All of those things are done. So you're resurrected a brand new person. So in this environment of church, you're supposed to continue this change transformation. You're supposed to continue to grow. Well, what happens sometimes is 
that gets cut off. It gets abbreviated. And we want to talk about that so we'll have a good idea of what's happening here and then be able to fix it. So let me read to you a paragraph. Please read along. It says, when we just see the church as a place for causes before we see it as a place of personal change, we will miss the true purpose of the church. A person can be zealous for a cause and resistant to personal change. I'm saying that because it's important for us to get this. If you just join a church at the corner of walk and don't walk and forget that church is a place for personal change, you may have nice causes at your church. And a person may join your church because of that cause, but they don't get the concept of being personally changed. Attitude, mind, thought. So you can have people that are excited about a cause, but hasn't changed. So what what kind of example could I give you? If you hate the same things now that you did before your baptism or before your acceptance of Christ, there's a little problem. If you still have the same pet peeves, if you still have the same feelings about people or groups of people or thoughts, something is kind of missing there because all of that stuff is supposed to end and then you're supposed to open yourself up for something new. There should be this period of personal change that happens in your life. Now, personal change doesn't end causes because once you personally change, then you can support causes or push forward great causes of Christ. But you can't put the cause before the change. Does anybody understand that today? Don't put the cause before the change. Make sure that you are changing. Make sure that there's a trans transformation in your life. Jesus was put into the tomb. When they came back to find Jesus, the stone was rolled away. The grave clothes that Jesus wore at that time were neatly folded and left in the tomb. His transformation was so Incredible that even the people who walk with him when he was on earth physically did not recognize him. Are, are y'all understanding what I'm trying to tell you today? This transformation was so magnificent that the people who walk with him on a daily basis didn't recognize him. So everything that was that was important or uh, that was pertinent to his death, he left in the in, in the tomb. Grave clothes, he left in the tomb. Have you left your grave clothes? Have you walked out of your behaviors, your attitudes, that mindset that you had before you accepted Christ? Have you left those grave clothes in your tomb of transformation? See, this is what really church is. Because if not, then you carry that same stuff into your new life. And that can be a problem. That can be a real problem. Are y'all following me today? I pray, God, this is making sense. So let's do the best thing we can always do. Let's go to scripture and see how scripture takes this. The first one is entitled, Get These Things Out of Here. Let's go to John chapter 2. We're going to begin to read at verse number 13. And this is in the New Living Translation. Get these things out of here. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to 
Jerusalem. Now, again, the Jewish Passover celebration is something that is very, very prominent in Jewish history and is practiced all the time. It is one of the biggest celebrations that the church or the temple time could ever have. So this is not something that is small. No, this is big. This is like worldwide for all of the Jews. So listen again. Can you bring verse 13 back up again one more time, bro? It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. There was a practice of all the laws that man had came up with and added on to the word of God that foreigners who came to celebrate, they may not have lived in Jerusalem. They may have been somewhere else. So when they came, they had the currency from their particular country or their particular town. So when they come to Jerusalem, that currency must be changed. So the temple was only allowed to accept the currency that was prominent or particular to Jerusalem. So there were money changers there who would take this foreign money and then charge an extra price for the exchange. Are y'all understanding this? So when it talks about the money changers, these are those people who were taking the money from the foreign currencies, exchanging it, turning it into money that is familiar to the Jerusalem city area, but they were charging extra money for the exchange. Now, also, the sacrifices that were being acceptable at, at the time. Hmm. This one really blows my mind. You were supposed to raise a cow or a sheep or a bull, and you were supposed to keep it clean up until this sacrifice time, and then you were to bring it to the temple. Well, people would get busy and not think about that. So there was a group of people at the temple who told them, don't you worry about it. We'll take care of that for you. The problem happens, though, is that these people would not accept anybody's animal as being right for sacrifice unless they bought it from Annas, the sons of Annas. The sons of Annas were the uh, there was a priest. He was an ex-priest, but these were his sons. They had cornered the market in the temple. And they would not accept your animal because they said it wasn't, it wasn't clean enough. But they would sell you one that they put their stamp on for being clean. Are y'all getting this? So now the money is being messed with. The animals are being controlled. But that's not the end of this thing. Also, there was the tax. There was a tax that was attached to the Passover celebration. You were supposed to pay a half a shekel. For tax. Well, if you didn't have the half shekel, there was somebody there to take care of that for you. But they would also charge you for making that exchange. So I need you to get this picture. You come to the temple and there are money changers. There are the people taking the shekel tax. There are people telling you that your bull or goat wasn't good enough, but they will sell you one. All of this stuff is going on and has been attached to the Passover celebration that the Passover celebration has taken a second seat or a back seat to these exchanges in the temple. 
Is everybody getting this? Okay, let's read on because this is important. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. So this behavior was unacceptable to Jesus. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. You say, well, pastor, how is this pertinent to what you're talking about? See, sometimes if you don't watch it, the church becomes a place that is formed for every other reason than your personal change. And you'll get involved in all of these other reasons for coming to church and never get to the point of your personal change. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And he said, this stuff has to get out of here. We've got to clean this out so the temple can return to what the purpose is. I'm about to sacrifice myself. I'm about to die. And I need you to understand what my death is going to mean to you. Are y'all following me? Praise the Lord. Let's read on. It says, can you go back one verse for me, please? Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. Not passion for this building. I love this building. It's beautiful. It is structurally beautiful. It is built wonderfully. It is clean. It is magnificent. So when you come in, you can have this peace of mind of being in a great place. But this is not where my passion is. It shouldn't be where your passion is. Your passion is for the church that comes in here and takes seat here. It should, your passion should burn for you to be among your brothers and sisters, to hear a word that encourages you to change, to grow. To be transformed. That is what this purpose is. Sometimes we miss that and we turn it into just a marketplace. You can buy food and candles and soup and, and, and all kinds of things and books. And, and again, I have no, there's no problem with those things as long as they're put in the right perspective. You change. Let's read on just a little bit. Hopefully you're all having fun so far. But here's the part that really gets me. It says, but the Jewish leaders, these are religious leaders of that time. Listen to me. They were the benefactors of the coin changers, the tax people, the people who rejected your animal and sold animals, the dove sellers. They were benefiting from these events in the temple. It says, but the Jewish leaders demanded What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. So they're going, you shouldn't be chasing out these people. This is our system. This is what we do. This is how we use our father's house. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. The father's house is not for all of this exchange. It's for you to change. 
Let me read on. Jesus is all right. Jesus replied, destroy this temple. And in three days, <laughs> I will raise it up. I know he just confused these guys just now. He just wiped them out. What they exclaimed? It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Again, they're talking about physical. Jesus is talking about spiritual. And I need you today to step out of that physical marketplace and step into the spiritual realm that we need to live in to change. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about the physical building. He's talking about he, his temple. He is the temple right now. They're going to kill him. He's going to raise back up and tear down everything that they got going on. There's victory in his resurrection. The thing changes because of his resurrection. It frees you that sin no longer has the power to demand your obedience. You now have the right to change. You are no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free. But let me read on. What they exclaim, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this, this temple, he meant his own body. Did he die for you? Did he get back up for you? And because he did, we should no longer see the temple area as a place for monetary exchange. We should see it as a place for spiritual transformation. But we're not done yet. I pray God this is making sense to you. Listen to me. It says the worshipers were really the people who suffered in this environment. They'd go to worship, but there was no real worship going on because there was too much money exchange. There was too much dove selling. There was too much of this. And then you were trapped as a believer that if you came there to give of your cow or your bull or your goat and you spent time raising that, they would tell you what you did was not enough. That their standard would be the standard that would judge your sacrifice. And they would not accept your sacrifice because they had this money source going on that the sons of Annas would be the only people who could give approval of the sacrifice. There are many places that you can go looking to be transformed as a human being. But if that's not their preference, then they will force you to be a part of what causes or concepts they have going on. Is anybody understanding this today? I pray, God, that you get it. I pray. Let's go to another one. This one we can get through. It says, it's not our vineyard. It's not our vineyard. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to begin to read at verse number 33. And this is the New Living Translation as well. Jesus says, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. So the landowner built this vineyard and then put everything that the vineyard would ever need for protection, for production, for fruit processing. Everything was there in the vineyard. He said, and dug a pit for pressing out the grape and then built a watchtower for them to look at. Then he leased the vineyard to the tenant farmers and moved to another country. 
So he found these people to this beautiful vineyard that he had created and he leases it to them. At the time of the great harvest, the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crops. Who did the vineyard belong to? The landowner. These other people were leasing the vineyard. So there is something of the production of the grapes and the grape juice, the olive oils, that should be paid to the landowner. So he sends representatives to collect from the leasers as the landowner during the time of harvest. It says, but the farmers grabbed the servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. If you don't watch your place of worship, it becomes a place of judgment. It becomes a place that points out to other people what you think they should be. You forget that you leased the vineyard. You forget that you didn't plant the great trees. You forget that you didn't build the tower. You forget that God granted you the right to lease his vineyard. He didn't do it because you were special. He leased to you his vineyard in hopes that from the production of the vineyard, you would bless others. But these people have changed their concept. They lost sight of the fact that they didn't create the vineyard. But now they believe that they have and they're in charge. So even the landowner cannot have his production from his own vineyard. Even God now sometimes cannot have the blessing that should come from his church to him. Because we now think we own this. Somebody say amen. Let me read on. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son. Thinking surely they will respect (laughs) my son. Can you imagine a church being so far off the mark? That it won't recognize Jesus. That the sense of ownership is so great that even the landowner's son is not important enough for them to give ground. Sometimes we forget how we got here. We are the body of Christ because God left heaven took on physical flesh and died for you and I, even though we didn't deserve that, and then created to us, gave us back this vineyard that does not belong to us. So these people seen the sun coming and the landover said, assured, I'm assured of the fact, don't respect my son. How far off the mark can they get? You know, there are some people right now want to tell you who Jesus is and who he isn't. I think the Bible has done a fantastic job of describing our Savior. 
In John 3.16, he said, God said, I sent him into the world to save the world, not condemn the world. But we went into the business of condemning. We took the vineyard and decided it was ours, and we excluded the son of the landowner. Is this making sense to anybody today? Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, listen closely, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get to the estate, get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asks, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Okay, Pastor Ben, you're going deep on us today. I need you to understand. If you can understand that we are guests in the body of Christ, that we have been given the greatest blessing that any human being could ever receive. And you can't steal it from the person that gave it to us. This church, this body of Christ does not belong to you. It is the body of Christ. Therefore, it's wrong for you to take it and turn it into money changing, (laughs) dove selling. It is wrong for you to say, I can excommunicate you from this church. I can kick you out because you don't fit my mental concept of what it's supposed to be. It doesn't belong to us. So what did the landowner do? He came back after they killed his son and he took it from them and he gave it to someone else. Who are these other people that he gave it to? These are people who are willing to be obedient to him. Why? Because they changed. They changed. They let the stone, which was the foundational stone, fall on them, break them. And then when they were restored, they were brand new entities, brand new creations, willing to serve God Almighty, willing to realize this is his vineyard and he is due a portion of the produce. Does this make sense, brothers and sisters? Say, well, pastor, how does this, how do I fix this in me? You die. Realize that you're living in a vineyard that was given to us by God. And then always be willing to give back to him from which he has given to you. Tides isn't always about money. 
See, the funny part that we fail to realize, God doesn't need our money. God owns everything. He owns 100% of everything. So when he asks us to give a tenth, it's not because we so much owe him or that he needs it. It is to test our ability to be obedient and disciplined to give him back the produce from his vineyard. To give him back what he is due. What is he due? He is due our love, our obedience, so we will use that fruit to help other people. We can't turn this place into something that keeps people out. We only want the people who think exactly like us. That is not what this is. Okay. Almost done. How do we make this transition? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It says change, put on your new nature. It says, how do you start this? So stop telling lies. Do you realize that God is after a new attitude, a new mindset, a new you? So now you have the power because of what Christ has done for you. You are no longer under the power of sin. So now you can stop telling lies. How beneficial will that be for everybody you interact with? So now you get this, this opportunity to be transformed. Let me read on. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the what? Truth. For we are all parts of the same body and don't give sin excuse me and don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to who to the devil aren't there a bunch of angry people running around right now Aren't there a bunch of angry people that you know of? You might even be one of them. Don't raise your hand. But aren't there a bunch of angry folks running around right now? It says it will give a foothold to the devil because he will use that anger to redirect or transform or change what the temple should be. They rearranged it and turned it into a marketplace. We can turn this house of God, this body of Christ into a place that Jesus would not recognize. He'll bring the whip again and he'll turn over the tables. He'll shut things down. He didn't cause COVID, but he shut down churches all over the country. So we get a chance to reevaluate whose vineyard is this? What is my place in this vineyard? Am I supposed to change so I can be obedient to the landowner or do I take possession for myself? Almost finished. It says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and what? Helpful. You know, that's not happening too much right now. So that your words will be an a what? Encouragement to those who hear them. That's not happening much right now. 
And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you, what, live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. Guarantee, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Why is the Bible telling us this? Because we now have the power to escape these things that under other circumstances ruled our lives. These people were in the vineyard given to them, leased to them by the landowner, but they got to a place of evil that they decided that they were going to steal from the landowner the vineyard. So they killed all the prophets that were sent and then killed Jesus thinking they would keep the vineyard for themselves. But the landowner never gave up ownership. And I'm here to tell you today, God has not given up ownership to the body of Christ. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. One last verse and we're going to close for today. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. You know, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our deeds are controlled by our minds. A new mind in Christ replaces the old mind. A new mind. Listen closely. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's important that we get this. If you see the body of Christ as a place for just causes, it will never challenge the way you think. And you will look at each person that doesn't support the cause the same way you do as an enemy. And they're not your enemy. They're your brothers and your sisters. And if you change your mind, then you can learn how to agree, to disagree, without losing love and respect for each other. Somebody say amen. It's important that we get here. We get this because I need us to get to this point because if not, then we'll use causes as the judgment of brotherhood and sisterhood with each other. When that is not the case, Jesus died that we could be one. I said Jesus died so we could be one. If you use a cause to determine who your brother is and who your brother isn't, we have a problem. Because maybe your mind should change that every cause is not the same for each person. Oh, man, I'm almost done. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, after you change the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. When will you learn? After you change the way you think. Where do you change the way you think? In the body of Christ. How do you do that? By coming here to change first, fight causes later. Change first, fight causes later. Somebody say amen. It's important for us to get this. Are there good causes that need to be fought? Of course there are. 
And I'm not telling you they're not. I'm just telling you that if you don't change before you fight the cause, then the cause will be the thing that you use to determine who your real brother and sister is. And that is faulty. Brothers and sisters, I thank you so much for listening this week. I pray, God, that this has been beneficial to you. I pray, God, that it's been helpful. Father, thank you for allowing us to share this word in this way. Thank you for being the landowner. Thank you for never changing your mind. That we may not have done it right, but you turned it over to someone else. And that someone else will use it in the way you determined and they will come back for us. Help us to understand that this is a place for personal change. First and foremost, a new mind, a new heart, a new way of thinking. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone say it. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you next week.